You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Good morning. My name is Ashley, and I have been attending Free City since 2017. I'm in the Topeka City group, and I help serve on the welcoming team and coordinate communion. Um, I think it goes without saying that right now all of our teams need help serving, so please um, please sign up um, and serve your church. We're not consumers, so thanks for those of you that are serving. Um, our sermon text today is John 13, 1 through 17. It's on, I think, page 846 in the Bible around you. Sorry if that's wrong. <laughs> John 13, 1 through 17. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. That is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Um, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you um, for bringing us together as a church. Lord, um, we are just thankful to meet together and learn more about you. So, Lord, thank you for the gospel and what it has meant for Ethan. Just pray that that would be boldly proclaimed um, through you today and that you would be magnified, um, knowing that you are with us to the end. Um, and so we just pray that this word um, would be laid upon our heart and that we would meditate it throughout the week, meditate on it throughout the week. Um, Lord, we also pray for Central Middle School, and thank you so much for um, this partnership. Um, and Lord, I just pray um, over those that are burdened, especially by like the financial situation with Lawrence Public Schools this week that was announced. We just pray um, 
over like one big heavy thing that has been laid upon them again. So we just pray um, for wisdom, for the leadership in this district. We pray for um, your peace to be with the school and with all the teachers and the students. Um, teach us to be friends um, for our friends that are educators. Let us um, learn how to listen and just serve them well um, in a time where work is really hard. So, Lord, we're so thankful that you change us. We're thankful that you teach us how to do these things, and we just pray all of these things in your name. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Ethan, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. And um, man, if you're new with us this morning, it's so good to have you. Uh, welcome in from the cold. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't leave my house yesterday, and uh, a couple of weeks ago we, we made a decision to not have church, and, and that was you know partially uh, they didn't have school the following week, and, and the um, things were roads were pretty bad. It was more icy, and I pulled out of my driveway this morning. And if you've ever been to my house, uh, we live at like. Uh, Mount Maple, I guess you could call it. We got maple trees, but like we live on just a regular street, but for some reason our driveway is like the steepest driveway in this town. And as I backed out, I just slid down <laughs> the whole way. And uh, it was kind of that thing of, man, I hope there's no cars behind me and I hope I stop before I get to the neighbor's house. But uh, it is icy out there. And then I hit the regular streets. They're clear. That's awesome. That's great. That's how that works. That's uh, thankful for uh, city people. But if you are new with us, man, I hope that you feel welcome this morning, uh, and, and I hope that for all of us, uh, we have ears to hear and, uh, and hearts to receive what God has for us through his word this morning. Um, man, we, if you're just with us, we've been in a sermon series for a, a while. We're, we're kind of stepping toward the end of it. We're in the last handful of weeks, but um, one that we've titled, uh, Jesus, Joy, and Sinners. And uh, we've said this weekly, and so I'm going to say it again, if you are new, uh, or if you've just been ignoring us, or you've had other things going on and, and when we've said it, uh, we've loosely based this series off a book called Gentle and Lowly by a guy named Dane Ortland. And uh, we have it as a resource. We'd love for it to be a helpful resource for you. There should be some on the info table as you're going out. Um, here these center, uh, I guess your center left doors, um, the info table right there. You can grab one, take it home with you, um, read it. If it's helpful, that's great. We would love uh, for that to be that way. But really, our, our thrust in this series um, is, is just a glimpse into Jesus, who he is, but also uh, how he is. And uh, I, I don't know how you're prone to think about God. I don't know, um, you know, if you like think a big, he has a big smile on his face for you, or you uh, think he's always kind of waiting on you to return, and he's got his arms crossed, or what it is. Um, but the reality is how we think of God how we know him, it affects how we live our lives, right? And so you, you may have no regard for God at all. You may not believe in him, but you find yourself here this morning, and you find yourself in this place because you have a loving friend who's probably nagged at you and uh, drug you out of bed to this place. They might have even promised you lunch afterward. And that's a good thing you're here. Um, but there's lunch. There's something far better than lunch for you to receive this morning. Um, if you would hear how God has loved you um, through his son Jesus, that Jesus was sent to the cross to forgive your sins, to defeat death and hell, to restore you to the life that you were actually created to live with God and with his people, with us. And, and so, man, today we would love to walk with you into that new life. 
Um, and we hope that the word would speak to you in a way that would transform you. Or, or maybe you find yourself this morning, you're here, you're exhausted, because you've always kind of worried that you're not doing enough to make God happy, or to keep him happy at least. You keep failing, and you're fearful that he's going to get you, like he's waiting to pounce on you. Or maybe you, you step into this place, and, and your ears are, are really tuned into the grace of God, but the truth of his grace has never really affected your life because you use his grace like a get-out-of-jail-free pass. You do whatever you want on a Sunday morning, and, and whenever you remember, you, you make good on that grace transaction so that you can keep on doing you, never really repenting or turning from your ways to actually follow Jesus. But wherever you find yourself this morning, my prayer is that we would truly see Jesus' compassion that we would see that he serves us. As we look at today's text, John 13, he serves us and he loves us. Jackie read this in the assurance. You heard it. I'm going to preach it too. He loves us to the end. And if we see Jesus for who he is, he will not leave us unaffected. He cannot. When we know him, when we receive him as Lord, he absolutely transforms us. And as he transforms our lives, he gives us new eyes to see ourselves as he's made us, purchased, secure, made right before God because of Christ. And then he changes how we see others. He imparts to us his heart for others, to lay down our lives and to find blessing in faithful service to him, to others, for his glory and for the good of our brothers and sisters. And this is the very thrust of John 13 this morning. And today, I think really this lines up pretty clear. I don't know that there's a whole lot of things that line up more succinct than this with the mission at Free City Church. And we say this pretty regularly. We exist as a church to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has to do with Jesus and who he's made us. He's made us a people. He's transformed us. And he's united us as one to empower us to see the mission that he's called us to, that he's equipped us for, to others, and to share the gospel with them, the people around you that you find yourself among. And so today, our Lord instructs us with a story, with an outworking of the washing of feet. And what a kind of weird thing, right? If you think about it, in the washing of feet, Feet. Do, you, do you ever like let a word linger in your mind and, and you think about it long enough that you kind of disassociate with, with it? Does it make sense or do I only do this? You sit back and then you start looking at it and you're like, this is odd. Well, feet's kind of one of those visual things that if you sit and linger in, now you're all, yeah, I hope you don't all do this terribly. But if you sit and linger, it's like, man, feet are odd. If you look at them from the side, you look at them from the top, everyone's got different feet. There's nothing, you know, my household, some of us got like that you know, a second toe that's this much longer than the rest of our toes, and some of us are like the perfect, you know, little, little slope off of them. Anyway, uh, we, we, we can realize that we're washing feet this morning, and it's kind of an odd thing, kind of a funny thing. But jokes aside, uh, when we think about the foot washing, um, I, I think there's, there's in part something that we kind of miss uh, as people who wear shoes most of the time. And we're in winter, so surely none of you are wearing uh, sandals. You might be sock and chalk or sock and stock, right? That's chacos, Birkenstocks. Tra registered trademark, 
Give me some money on that one. I didn't make that up. But here's the deal. In an effort to situate us this morning, uh, how many of you like to camp? You can raise your hand. Interaction's great, especially on like a cold, dark morning. <laughs> you like to camp? Yeah, great. Okay. Uh, and how about like summer camping? I know some people are like, man, put me in the Arctic and I'll get all the blankets. But like summer camp, you do this in the summer, or fair weather or something like that. Okay. In our household, man, our family loves to camp. Our, our kids do a great job at it. And uh, we preferably like to, you know, kind of get west of here, probably eight hours at, at an elevation of at least like 8,000 feet or so, so that it's cooler, right? Well, when we get there, it's not just cooler for 8,000 feet. There's also mountains, and that's really good. And, and my probably favorite way to think about camping is uh, during the day I can wear shorts and a T-shirt, and I can wear in the night uh, a light jacket, sit next to the fire, but I got sandals on the whole time, right? It's like pretty comfortable, got a little bit of a sole, but you're, you're kind of free and in the wild. But here's the thing, when you're camping, if you're wearing sandals, even if you're sleeping each night next to a stream or you're pretty readily next to a source of water, your feet stay absolutely disgusting. They're just filthy. There's, there's no way to, to do anything about it. Like you could strip down, you could hop in the pond, hop in the river, you can clean up, your hair's smelling good, you're not stinking anymore. But the second you slip your sandals back on, e- even if you, you know, you're like tiptoeing, you're doing the, the best thing possible, you're back to black heels and kicking up dust, right? Like in just a moment. And, and if you ever go to the beach, you know the same thing. If you're out at Bloomington Beach, the the fantastic beach of Lawrence, Kansas. You, you go out there and, and you walk away from the beach, you're in the sand, and uh, they've got a water spigot, right? But if you wrench your feet off, you're standing in the sand, and then you gotta walk through the sand. It's like, this is pointless, man. Uh, let's just, we're gonna have filthy feet. It's absolutely unavoidable. Hopefully that sets a little bit of the stage. If we know how filthy our feet are in just certain circumstances, this isn't necessarily a part of our daily life, but in certain circumstances. But it sets the tone for today's text. The disciples, they've been walking the streets, and as you can imagine in ancient Israel, the roads, they're unpaved. People travel by foot, animals walk along the way, and the paths would, of course, be of dirt and rock. But scattered about, there'd be animal waste. It'd be disgusting. If you think about romping around in those conditions and some sandals, your feet are going to be pretty nasty. But John 13, in a way, is the beginning of the end. Here we see that Christ is gathered with his disciples in the upper room. And, and if we are familiar with this text, and just to situate us even more, this is just hours before his death. So it's helpful, if, if this is helpful, if you consider Holy Week, we're sitting in this text on Thursday, and Jesus will be crucified on Friday. So knowing all of that that will soon take place, Jesus, consider this, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, in some of his final, final moments, he chooses, and mark that, he chooses to humble himself and wash the feet of the 12 men with him. Christ takes on a job that, that would only have been suitable for the lowest of the low. 
his humble actions point to the ultimate act of his humility that would ultimately be his cross. And both the foot washing and his cross, they're both manifestations of his love for his own. So as we look at John 13 today, we see this very thing. We see that Jesus loves his own people. And we, he loves them to the end, as verse 1 says. We also see that he blesses them as they follow his example of humble service to love others as Christ has loved them. And so we're going to break down today's text in three parts. We're going to look at first, Christ's love. That's going to be verse 1. And then we're going to look, secondly, at Christ's cleansing. It's verse 2 through 11. And then we're going to look, at, finally, at Christ's example, which is 12 through 17. And I hope I don't lose my voice completely, but bear with me. <clears throat> Let me pray first and we'll get going. Jesus, I do ask that this morning as we look at your word, <clears throat> I ask that it would be clear. I ask that you would magnify yourself, that we would see your actions in this text um, married with uh, the actions of just who you are in your whole life. And even you now in this very moment, we would see the all-encompassing work of you, Jesus, and that we would uh, be encouraged, we'd be transformed. Jesus, we would receive your cleansing, we would gaze upon your love, and it would lead us to walk out of this place following your example. So would you move in us by your spirit? Would you stir in our hearts? Amen. So look at verse 1. We could leave it right here So we look at the encompassing work of Christ, but we begin with Christ's love. John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Here the text is before the feast of the Passover. And I, there's some discrepancy among scholars on the timing of this, but um, I view this as the actual Passover meal. If you look to Matthew 26, you look to Mark 14, or even Luke 22 in the Synoptic Gospels, you'll see that, that John includes the events surrounding this meal. So we're at the Passover, and it says that Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father. So previously in, in John 2, at the very beginning of John's Gospel, and then even as late as, as chapter 7, Jesus is, is noted and quoted saying, Hey, my hour has not come, but now we see his hour has come. Before Jesus returns to the Father, before his ascension, he will, before he will go to the cross to pay for his sins and where he must die and he will resurrect, before he departs out of this world, he will accomplish perfectly all that the Father has sent him for. And all that is to come, the cross the resurrection, the ascension, all of these things, they're the outworking of him having loved his own to the end. But this love isn't just a future love, the love of Christ. It's not just encapsulated in what is yet to come. It says, having loved his own who were in the world, Jesus has already loved them presently. He's loved them in the past. He's been with them. If you think over the course of the last three years, pouring himself out to the disciples daily. Everything that's happened to this point is distinct of his love for them. As he served them, he's taught them. And as I said, this, this past and present love, it's also a future love. 
It's the full extent of Christ's love. And, and so if we were to let our mind run with that, if you just thought about the scriptures, if you're familiar with them, if you thought of all that Jesus has done, all that he's accomplished, man, we could sit and meditate on that for quite some time, maybe for eternity. That's true. That's good. The fullness of his life, the fullness of their lives to the end forever. And as we read in the call to worship today, Jesus, he is the manifest steadfast love of God. The way that Christ has loved the disciples, the way that he's loved them to the end is, is really the love that Paul speaks of in Romans 8. If you look at Romans 8, 35 through 39, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, For your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love that Jesus has for his own is to the uttermost and it will not be overcome. It won't be thwarted. As we continue in the text, you, you'll see the trickle-down nature of this love, that Jesus loves the Father, and the Father loves Jesus, and Jesus loves his disciples. The disciples are to love one another. But what's wild is the nature of Christ's love. If you survey today's popular culture, if you, if you kind of read self-help books or things like that, love in many ways, I know this isn't solely, but in, in many ways, uh, and in a lot of my friends and family members, love begins and ends with self. You know what I'm saying? It, you love yourself. You do what makes you happy. You avoid the difficult thing. You only show up on your terms when you absolutely feel safe and there's no risk involved at all. But look at Jesus with eyes wide open, no safety measures in place. He's completely aware of the cost of his love. And note this, verse 2, he'll be betrayed. We'll look at this, but in the very next verse, we see Judas mentioned. He's going to die, Jesus, a horrific, gruesome death upon a Roman cross. But in his great love, he doesn't flinch. He endures it all. He takes on darkness and sin, all of it. Why? Because he loved his own. And he's going to love them to the very end. This is Christ's love. Do you know this kind of love? A love that will never leave you. It won't forsake you. A love that will love you through everything. Not just, it's not just going to meet you at the end like some period coming on at the end of a sentence. It sustains you through everything, through your life. He's with you. And the love in which he has loved his own is not solely available to the disciples listed in John 13. It's for you through faith. In 1 John 4, we see the manifest love of God. It says, this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. He sent his son to be the propitiation, to be the atoning sacrifice to make right, to pay for our sins. Jesus loves 
his own. It's not just that he did. He presently loves his own. And he loves us to the end. Isn't he good? Look at verses 2 through 11. We look at Christ's cleansing. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, was going back to God. Note his movement. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking up a towel, he tied it around his waist and he poured water into a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So here we have the commencement of the foot washing. What's crazy, of course, is uh, we've mentioned this, who does the foot washing? I mentioned this, that uh, those who would do foot washing would, would really be those kind of on the outside of society, the hardly human, those looked down upon. This would be one that in, in a lot of ways would kind of be scoffed at by some servants. But this demeaning task is certainly not fit for a king. However, it's here that we begin to understand the paradox of our king's kingdom. In Luke's account of the same event, in Luke 22, 24, we're told that the dispute had broken out among the disciples. They're arguing about who was the greatest, who should be regarded the highest. And so against the backdrop of 12 bickering dudes, John gives us insight into the heart of this situation. We see the events of verse 4 and on. We know Jesus' movements. He rose from dinner. He laid aside his garments. He tied a towel around his waist, taking the form of a servant. He poured out water into a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet. And notice this. There is no discrepancy to which disciples he washed their feet. All of them. As if this scenario is not striking enough, John explains that Jesus does, in fact, know all things. And, and he's knowing, he does all of this knowing that Judas was going to betray him. In verse 2, he mindfully washes the feet of the one who will sell him out. He serves him in the lowliest way possible. Jesus is not like me. It's not like you either. Look again at verse 3. It speaks of the nature of Jesus. It says that all things were given to him from the Father. That he had come from God and he was going back to God. We should understand this as his power. We see his divinity. His God nature. He is one with God and his glory. It's only Jesus who bends down to wash the disciples' feet, but it's also only Jesus who has the actual power to cleanse the disciples. Theologian Sinclair Ferguson points out the similarities of, of John 13 and the Christ hymn of Philippians 2. He says this, In washing the disciples' feet, Jesus acts out symbolically what Paul in Philippians describes theologically. Jesus came from the highest glory of heaven into the depths of our human condition. He took the form of a slave and accomplished our cleansing of sin by his death upon the cross. And when he was exalted, and then he was exalted to the right hand of the Father. And so we see that movement, right? You see that he came down, he 
rose, went from dinner. He laid aside, humbled himself, took up the towel and wrapped it around his waist, taking the form of a servant. And he washed the disciples. He poured out his life for them. As Jesus washed their feet, he was signaling to the disciples their need for his cleansing. Look what happens in verse 6. It says, He, Jesus, came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Well, Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you do not understand, but afterward you will understand. And Peter says to him, You shall never wash my feet. Well, Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. This scene is, is reminiscent of Matthew 16, 21 and 23. If you're familiar with Peter there, Peter, he's going to speak out about some things, trying to stop Jesus from what Jesus does. It's there that Jesus, in Matthew 16, he's telling of his death and resurrection, that he's going to go to Jerusalem, that he's going to suffer. He's going to suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes. He's actually going to be killed, but on the third day he'll rise. <laughs> and in this moment, Peter pulls him aside, and he's like, Jesus, come here, hang on. That's crazy. This can't be happening. You don't, you don't want this to happen. And what's Jesus say to him? You remember Matthew 16? He says, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Whoa. But what he's saying, he says, you are a hindrance to me. You're not setting your mind upon the things of God. Your mind is set upon the things of man. And Jesus, he's saying the same thing here. He says, hang on, Peter, you don't understand what I'm doing. It's here in John 13. Jesus rises from the table, bends down, depicting the new way of the kingdom, serving by washing the disciples' feet. Now, I don't know who he started with. Like, it's probably not John, because John, when he's in John's gospel, he's very quick to say, John the Beloved, he would have said, Jesus began to wash the feet, and he began with the one he loved more than all the others. He would have settled the dispute for us, right? Who's the greatest? <laughs> but we don't know at what point Peter's refusal takes place, but it seems that he realizes, Peter realizes, Jesus is working way below himself, way below his pay grade. We could say pay grade, but Jesus is poor, right? <laughs> he's the richest, but he didn't have money. But in the sense we know his divinity, this guy shouldn't be washing feet. But then Jesus is clear to Peter. He says, hey, if I don't wash you, you have, if you look at verse 8, no share with me. Can you imagine someone sitting at, at your feet? One, you're, you're at dinner, and I, I know this is the miss on us of like Western culture, and uh, probably none of you have really sat down for this, but I, I know pedicures are a thing. Well, this, uh, this pedicure was not scheduled, and uh, you didn't expect it. You sure as heck didn't expect it by your teacher, uh, who you've been with for the last three years, who you've come to know as Lord and Savior of the world. Uh, this would be a perplexing thing, pretty uncomfortable. So we can understand to some extent and sympathize with Peter, like, hang on, Lord, you, don't be doing this. But Jesus says to him, he says, you cannot get your guilt, you can't get your shame off on your own. He says, Peter, there's, there's no self-cleanse option. Only I can do this. My cleansing is necessary. When he says, 
if you, if you don't allow me to wash you, you have no share with me. What Jesus is saying is this, to, to have a share or to have a part would be understood in respect to having an inheritance. If you think of Luke 15, where the younger brother comes to the, to the father and he says, hey, I, I want my share of your property. I want my inheritance. Give me my share. Give me my part. So when Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me, he's saying, I have an inheritance to disperse to you. And this cleansing that Jesus provides, this inheritance that he has, he grants and provides eternal life. Look at Peter's response in verse 9. Simon Peter says to him, Lord, okay, not only my feet, but my hands and my head, tried and true. We got Peter here. Well, if you say so, just give me the deluxe bath. That's what I'll take. I don't necessarily think it's a comedic thing, but it's a funny thing for me to think about with Peter. He just kind of always suffers from like naivety, which would probably be me if I'm being honest. <laughs> but look again at how Jesus responds. He says, the one who's bathed, verse 10, he does not need to wash except for his feet. And then he says, but he's what? One who's bathed does not need to wash, but he is completely clean, completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that's why he said not all of you are clean. And so you see the contrast here. Peter asks essentially for some sort of bath, but Jesus says, no, you're already clean, but there's one of you who's not. The text tells us the one who would betray him, Judas, is not clean. But what we see is that the disciples, the disciples, the true disciples of Jesus, they have already been cleansed. They're not, they're not they are only in need of a foot washing, whereas Judas, this guy, he needs the soaking tub. He needs the full bath. He's not clean. In regard to verses 9 and 10, D.A. Carson says in his commentary on John that Peter's unrestrained and thoughtless exuberance, in verse 9, it opens up the opportunity to turn the foot washing to another point, the initial and fundamental cleansing that Christ provides. It's a once-for-all act. Individuals who have been cleansed by Christ's atoning work will doubtless need to have subsequent sins washed away, yes. But the fundamental cleansing can never be repeated. So we need to consider this, lest we be confused. The disciples, they were, as Jesus said, completely clean. The word that the Apostle Paul uses for this in the New Testament is the word justified. If you look in Romans 3, 23 and 24, a pretty familiar text, we see that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and they are justified. This means they're proven right. They're made right. We, we could just say, man, they're saved. They've been transformed by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So the disciples have been made clean. They've been or justified which means that they believe that Jesus is the Holy One of God and they have an inheritance, a share with Christ. They too with Christ are God's children as Jesus is God's son. The power of sin has been defeated by Jesus through his cross and resurrection. 
However, today we know this, the presence of sin still remains. And this is particularly what Jesus is showing the the disciples through washing their feet. They've been saved once and for all, but there's still sin in their lives. And that sin further, it it exists because it exists. It, It doesn't contradict the reality that they're completely clean. They've been justified, but there's still sins in their lives. Does that make sense? We should listen here closely. If you think about Judas, Judas was one of the 12. Judas didn't just hear about Jesus. He was with Jesus. He was with Jesus daily for three years. He watched Jesus, Christ, the preacher of all preachers. He heard the best sermons, and he on this night even had his feet washed. The problem is Judas's feet were washed, but Judas himself was not clean. Does this land with you? Do you fit the description I gave at the beginning? Like, maybe you presume you're good because you walk through the doors of this building week in and week out. Maybe you even attend a city group in our church. But the rest of your week is lived out just doing whatever you want with no pause, no consideration. Or, or maybe you have friends who are really awesome. You, they walk closely with Jesus. It's obvious. You see it in them and you mimic it in part, hoping that you'll catch whatever they've got, like some new variant of COVID, right? That's not how that works. Maybe it's obvious you're a fraud. Maybe everyone, if they knew you were a fraud, would be completely surprised. After all, the disciples, if you look at this, when Jesus says, there's one of you, one with you who's not clean, they didn't immediately say, you know what, it's Judas. They didn't see it. Friends, Judas faked it well. He was trusted in the group of disciples. And when it came came down to it, Judas sold out Jesus, his Lord, his teacher, the one who'd served him, who'd washed his feet, who'd laid down his life for him for 30 pieces of silver. And I think the question is, now what would we sell Jesus out for? You see, an ultimate love for things will always lead to destruction. Brothers and sisters, like, listen to me on this. All of us in this room, all of us, there's no one exempt here. We all need the cleansing power of Jesus this morning. Whether you need the bath that is salvation, justification, or you need your feet washed, there's no one here today without need. You find yourself as the biggest fake of all time, never received Christ's blessing. Maybe you lie about everything, you steal all the time. Well, you need to be cleansed by Jesus, washed completely clean by his blood shed upon the cross for your sins, for your dishonesty, for your lies, for your theft, whatever other sins you have. Or maybe you know Jesus. You've been washed by his blood. You've been justified, but you keep getting tripped up by temptation time and time again, and you need your feet washed. You need to confess your sin. You need to repent and actually turn from it. The beauty of all of this is that Jesus is the one who offers exactly what we need. 
Only he can cleanse us. Only he can wash us clean. And if we receive his cleansing, we've got nothing to lose except our guilt and our shame. And if you think about 1 John, the same author, 1 John 1, 8 says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9 continues, But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't be deceived, as John says. Receive Christ's cleansing. As we continue, look into verse 12. We look at Christ's example. It says this, When he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garments and resumed his place. He said to them, you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should also do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, Blessed are you if you do them. This is one of those places where we could easily get a little crazy with interpretation, but it's actually really straightforward. 15 sums it up. He says, I've given you an example that you should do just as I've done for you. In essence, I've served you. Now go and do likewise. We sometimes can overcomplicate things. But if we remember back at the beginning, I mentioned in Luke's gospel in 22, there was an argument taking place about rank. Who's the greatest? Well, as Jesus resumes his place at the table after washing the disciples' feet, he reminds them of who he is. He says, hey, I'm teacher and Lord, and do you understand what I just did for you? Did you see that? Did you receive it? In his humility, Jesus exemplified what they are now to do. He washed their feet. The king who had been given all things from God the Father, he scrubbed their grimy toes so that they might in turn realize there are no boundaries to the love that Jesus has for them. He proved through his actions, Mark 10, 45, that he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And he would surely give his life as a ransom up on the cross. And it's here that Jesus says, hey, follow my lead. Look at what I just did. Look to my example. In 16, you know, they've been arguing who's the greatest. And, and he says, hey, guys, remember, you servants, you the messengers, I sent you out. The disciples don't gain a right standing, though, when he says, follow my example. We need to know that the disciples don't gain a right standing because of what they do from here. Jesus gives them a right standing, as we established this earlier. But now Jesus imparts and encourages, exhorts them to go serve because they've been served. Their service now is an overflow of what's already been done for them. And further, if you look again at 17, it says this. Jesus says, if you know these things, then blessed are you if you do them. There's a blessing in following Jesus' example. Jesus says, it's not just about knowing me, it's about knowing me and following me. It's about knowing and doing. Think of the word for us to 
to linger on. Casey mentioned this recently, and we talk about this in our LTGs and our life transformation groups is what that means. And life transformation groups, I'll give you the side note since I already went ahead and stepped out there. Life transformation groups are, are groups of two to three men together in one group of men or women together in one group of women where, where we just are looking at the word of God together, we're evaluating what's going on in our life and where we want 100%, want to be 100% known. And in those groups, we, we share in a lot of ways, we're, we're mimicking, man, how the disciples existed together with Jesus. They look to him, they learn from him, they walk together. And when we're doing this, one thing we've been highlighting lately, I think it was last week Casey mentioned, is we want to, to really lean in and focus in on gratitude. And if you think about following Jesus, man, you can follow Jesus uh, mad with your arms crossed, joylessly. And you know who that serves? Nobody, man. You're mad and serving people? That sucks. Like, it sucks for you. And the people who are receiving your service, like, imagine you drive through Chick-fil-A, and they, they would never do this, right? They're the, they're the nicest people. But if they threw you, here you go, thanks, see ya. No, they say, man, it's my pleasure to serve you, right? Man, for us, we need to be a people who sit in and look at the love of Jesus, who realize that he's cleansed us. We receive the cleansing power. And from there, we work out. We got to situate ourselves in gratitude. I think for many of us, man, even as we consider just life, uh, you know, the last two years have been wild for a million different reasons. And, and depending on where you work or where you find yourself, uh, you find your, the opportunity uh, to be mad about any and everything. And, uh, man, I even just found myself a couple weeks ago when our city, again, is like another mask mandate, right? We're like, again, seriously? And we could be curmudgeon about this, or, or we can say, man, Jesus, thank you for giving us life. Thank you for putting breath in my lungs. And you know what? I deserve hell, and you didn't give me that. I'm here. You know what? I'll serve my brothers and sisters. I'll join here. I can smile, put a smile on my face, and love others. And so for us to situate in what Christ has done, we need to realize Christ's kind, compassionate, loving service to us. And this will propel us to serve others with the love of Christ. We remember who gives us the power to serve others. Near the end of John 13, if you look at uh, verses 35, 34 and 35, it says this, that Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another just as I've loved you, you're also to love one another. And he says this, by this, when you do this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So there's a blessing that you receive in giving out from the love that you've received from Christ. But there's a blessing dispersed to others because they see the glory and beauty and love and service of Jesus as you care for others. And this lands us right to the beginning. The mission of our church, we exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we do this? Man, we're people who realize the love of Jesus Christ who have received his cleansing, are transformed by him. Whether we've needed and had the bath, or we've just recently had our feet washed because we've had the bath a while back and we've been completely clean. 
And then we follow his example as we love others around us. Jesus loves his own people. He loves them to the end. And he blesses them as they follow his example of humble service. That same night in the upper room, Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. And this was all a a foreshadowing of what was to come. What he was set to do upon the cross. He would cleanse them through his death, his blood shed, and, and securing them through his resurrection. Jesus washed their feet, but also that evening, he transformed their understanding in another way. There was a meal, a meal that they were widely familiar with. You remember at the beginning of verse 1, they were gathered for the feast of the Passover. A meal that for generations and generations had signified God's goodness to his people in keeping his promise and preserving them. Set way back in the Old Testament. A meal that recounted God's faithfulness to preserve his people through the sacrificial blood of a lamb. But on this night, Jesus sits at the table with him and proclaims to them, I am the sacrificial lamb. He held up the bread that evening. He broke it and he said, brothers, this is my body, which I've given for you. And then he held up a cup and he said, this is the cup that's poured out for you. And it's the new covenant of my blood. For so long, the covenant of God had been concealed through the blood of a lamb sacrificed for this specific meal. But tonight, the covenant of God was revealed through the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, Jesus. And Jesus would be faithful to the point of death upon a cross. He would pay for the sins of all who would trust in him. He would die, but he wouldn't stay dead. And on the third day, he would rise in a pronouncement over sin and death. And today, this very moment, this day, He sits at the right hand of the Father, his enemies a footstool beneath his feet, and he intercedes for all who believe in him, anyone in this room who believes. And another way to say this would just be this, loving his own who are in the world, he loves them to the end. And let me pray for us. Jesus, we're thankful for your love, as we gaze upon your love and we realize the extent of your love, that it has no boundaries, it washes us clean, it propels us and empowers us by your Holy Spirit, would we be filled with encouragement? Where we're wearied and worn, Lord, would our lives, our, our lungs be filled with breath? Would you put endurance in us? Lord, were we joylessly uh, do what we have to do? Would you transform our understanding of our lives? Would we see that we're hopeless and without you, but then you came so graciously and washed our feet? You cleansed us through your cross. And this morning, would you empower us to, whether we need to receive your cleansing initially, would we receive that? Whatever we need to deal with you, um, with our sin about. We need to offer to you, would you wash us? Would you give us courage, knowing that you're gracious, you're merciful, you love us. We see your compassion poured out for us, Jesus. Amen.